Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. mind this morning, uh, which it's, it's kind of become my custom just to be down here. I feel weird up there. Uh, but I wanted to be down here with you today because I don't really want to sermonize you this morning. That's not my goal, to give you uh, something good that we can put lots of good quotes on Facebook and it sounds good and makes us feel good. Uh, <laughs> that sounds terrible to start a message. But I want to take you with me uh, in just what I've been in for the last several days uh, of just what God is revealing to me and showing me. And, and in some areas of this, I feel like, uh, I feel, I don't know what I feel like. Like maybe I shouldn't be the one preaching this. Maybe I haven't fully comprehended this, this understanding and this revelation, but I know it's where he's got me. And uh, for some crazy reason, he chose me to bring it this morning. So uh, we're gonna see where we get in this. Uh, but I wanna deal with a, a what will be my title is Christ in You. And I wanna deal with the simple, basic, understanding of the gospel, that for too long, we've made it too complicated. And we've added so much stuff and we've created so many ideas and, and theologies and all this stuff, when in reality, it was intended to be the most simple, basic understanding of a gospel, of a message. When the new, uh, by the time Jesus came on the scene in the New Testament, the Sadducees and Pharisees had added like 300 and something laws to the original 10 commandments. And we look back now thinking, oh my God, that's insane. No wonder people couldn't keep up with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But it's really no different today. Uh, we may not be Sadducees and Pharisees and it may not be, it look like it did then. But in reality, we've in some way added so many things to something that was intended to be so basic and so understandable. And we have to send people through theology classes just to understand what it means to be saved. And, and, and they have to know all of our rules and all of our regulations. And they don't have to, have to know how we worship and how we do this and how we do that and how we, 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 we. And that's what they want to know. That's what, they, that's what we think they need to know. When in reality, what they need to know is this simple statement. Christ in you. That's it. There's no more, no less. So in, in understanding that, I want to take us on a journey this morning uh, and just see what God does. Are y'all ready? Amen. I want to start with a quote. Nisha, if you'll give me my quote from A.W. Pink. It says, the great mistake made by most of the Lord's people is in hoping to discover in themselves that which is to be found in Christ alone. Wow. Come on. So one of the great mistakes that we make regularly is continuing to look to ourselves to come up with something in a situation when what's needed in the situation can only be found in Christ. So when something comes up in my life, I immediately begin to run through my personal inventory and I begin to go through what am I good at and what am I capable of doing? What can I pull out? What words can I put together? What can I come up with in this moment to, to suffice the situation that, that, that's, that's happening right now? And in doing so, we usually make the situation worse. <laughs> How many times have you found yourself in a dilemma and you thought you knew exactly what you needed to do to correct this dilemma, only to find out when you got done, it was worse. 
only to find out when you got done, now I got to go back and apologize to five people when originally I should have only had to apologize to one. Oh, come on. I'm just going to be real this morning. Can I, can I just take y'all where I've been the last few days? And, and we've so come to a place where we've bought into us. And we've even made salvation about us. And the productivity of my salvation becomes based on me. And, and how effective my salvation is becomes based on me. And we've bought into ourselves. And not only that, we've built programs and we've built all kinds of things for Christians to build up the person. We spend so much time putting people through classes and giving them pep talks and trying to tell them how awesome they are. Because we've bought into us. We've bought into our abilities. Because some of us are really good at some things. Some of us can put certain things together and we can, we can problem solve and we can come up with answers and we can say the right thing and we can even do the right thing in the moment that it needs to be done. And so in doing so, we just decide we have the answer. So we're constantly choosing to trust in us instead of Christ. And our weak, passive, unproductive lives are a testament to that. We keep coming back to the idea that we're supposed to be doing what they did in the Bible and we're just as confused as the world is when it comes to why we're not. We keep coming up empty-handed. We keep getting to the place where it's supposed to look like the Bible, but we can't tell them why it doesn't. We throw out slogans. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when they tell me to prove it, what is my answer? So this is where I've been. Welcome to my world. So last night, I thought I knew what today was gonna be like and I thought I knew what I was gonna speak on and it sounded really good. And then about 8.30 last night, I sat down with a cup of coffee and a blank computer screen and Holy Spirit started writing. And oh, how I wish I wouldn't have sat there. So we're fixing to go on this journey together. See, we have to come back to the realization that he is it. And until we come to the place where we must know him, see him, and serve him, we will continue to have more questions than answers and more losses than victories. We must know him. Not it would be a good idea, or it would help, or it would be nice. But I must know this Jesus. I must truly know him on a personal level in such a way that it begin to, begins to affect every area of my life, nothing exempt. That every part of me in some form or fashion is searching and seeking for him. The psalmist wrote, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. When's the last time you felt your soul longing for Jesus Christ? That you just couldn't make it through the day without finding a place to create an altar and say, Jesus, I just need you. I don't need another religious cliche. I don't need a pat on the back. I don't need you to tell me how awesome I am. I need Jesus. I must, I must have him. See, this is the way it was designed from the beginning. When God created man and put him in the garden, it was never about man. It wasn't about man. Man never considered himself. Man considered God and what God gave him to manage. 
That was the life. But the greatest downfall in human history is when man found out about himself. What did, the, what did the serpent do in the garden? He made it about Adam and Eve. It no longer became about God and what God had so graciously given them. It became about them and the one thing he didn't give them. Let's look at this in Genesis chapter three. This is where this takes place. They've already eaten of the fruit. And now we pick up and says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then they go on into a, uh, and she tells him what happened with the serpent. He deceived her and all these things that take place. Well, what's awesome about this story is we have to come to the understanding. If, if you know anything about God, you know that God wasn't looking through the garden trying to figure out where Adam and Eve were. He knew where they were. He was God. As a matter of fact, it would be easier to believe that he was looking at them right in the face saying, where are you? Because this is not who you were yesterday. You, you've become somebody else. Because yesterday, the only care Adam had was God. God, I just want to serve you. I want to please you. I want to take care of everything you've given me. I want to just, just, just live in the beauty of the life that you have designed for me. But then all of a sudden today, something's different. Today, God shows up in the garden and he's not met with this joyful Adam that was so excited that God was there. Because I have to believe if I was Adam in the garden and God had a time, which he did, we know he came in the cool of the day. So you could say morning or evening, whichever one you would choose. But we know that God would show up at that time and spend it with them. So I have to believe if it was me in the garden, when it started getting close to that time, I'd be waiting. Here he comes. He's about to show up. Just watch, just watch, just for a second. He's about to show up. And then boom, there's God standing there visiting with Adam and Eve. And it's, it's the most magnificent thing you can imagine because it's all about God. But then through deception, it becomes about Adam and God no longer gets the glorious entry that he had been used to. Because all of a sudden now it's about Adam and the fact that he's naked and it's not about how glorious God is. It's about how naked Adam is. See, the problem is we've exaggerated the wrong thing and we've exaggerated how naked we are instead of exaggerating how good God is. God was good. They were naked. They were naked before they found out and God was still glorious. God didn't come down and say, oh, I can't hang out with y'all. Y'all are naked. Put some clothes on, do something, cover yourself. No, God still showed up in the same way. But when they became aware of it, some of us are too aware of ourselves we're too aware of what disqualifies us and we're too aware of what's not. When it was just supposed to be about him. It was never intended to be about us. We've taken this 66 book love letter that he wrote to us and made the whole thing about us. We take everything in the scripture and it has to be about me and it has to reflect me and it has to help me and it has to direct me and it has to guide me and it does. The Bible is the most beautiful written thing on the planet and I love to study it. I consider myself just a Bible nerd. I spend so much time in it. But the Bible wasn't about me. 
It was about him. It was my way to see him and who he is and what he does. But we've taken everything and everything has become about us. Just like all of a sudden, the garden was about Adam and Eve and not about God. The serpent came in and had to do one thing, just make it about Adam and Eve. He just had to take the attention off of God. And what he's done in so many people's lives today is he's taken the focus off of God and he's just made it about you. And then when it comes about you, it's easier to separate myself from God than to embrace him. So it's become about us. We have to quit trying to combat false insecurities and prideful mindsets with pep talks. We keep trying to convince people how great they are, but in reality, it's not about how great they are. It's about how great the one inside them is. See, I believe this gospel is so simple that we reject it in its simplicity and we search for a more intricate version that sounds better and has more to do with us and what we can bring to the table. But in reality, who cares what we can bring to the table when Jesus has already brought everything needed to the table? We've so bought into our ability. We've so bought into what we can put together and what we can do. And we're constantly getting in a church body and we just need people to know what we're able to do. We need them to know that I can sing. I can play an instrument. I can speak. I can do this. I can do that. And we need people around us to understand the abilities that are in us instead of the God that's in us. What if we came to the place where we said, you know what? In myself, I can't do nothing. But because of the one that lives in me, just put me wherever you want and it'll work. When I become so nitpicking about the place of my, my, my investment into a body, then it has immediately become about me. And well, pastor, I can't really serve there because I'm not good at that. Well, then good. That's where I want you. That way God will have to show up and do something and you won't mess it up. I'm going to be honest with you. In the beginning, and you can ask my wife, I wanted nothing to do with student ministry. I knew early on when I got in the church, people were starting to make comments and, oh, he's young, he'd probably make a good youth pastor and da, da, da. And I immediately, no, not this guy. You can ask my wife. I looked at her and said, I will never, never be a youth pastor. I remember how ignorant I was as a youth and how much trouble I put my youth pastor through and I refuse to be the other guy. That was my mindset. I didn't want it. I didn't want nothing to do with it. And then a few weeks later, dad said, oh, by the way, I need you to fill in at youth pastor. Oh, God, really? And for the first, I don't know, I've been doing it for what, six years now? So for the first six years, I struggled. <laughs> but in reality, it took me a long time to get to the place where I was doing it because it's what I wanted to do. But see, we've taken that understanding and thought, oh, well, that's not... I don't know, what do you call it? That's not right. That's not good stewardship, putting somebody somewhere they don't want to do it. Oh, you're right, because Jesus was just stoked to go to the cross. <laughs> what if it was about what he wanted and not about what I wanted? 
oh, I can't speak to that person at the gas station. What will they think? What if it wasn't about me? And if it wasn't about me, I wouldn't care what they thought about me. I just care what they think about Jesus. It's so simple. It's so easy to understand. And this Jesus that's in us is what we must buy into. We must give ourselves wholly and completely to knowing him, loving him, serving him. And everything else must fall to the side. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong here. In talking today, I'm gonna talk a lot about how we just try to build people up all the time and we're constantly telling people how awesome they are. I do it more than anyone. That's my youth. Usually my normal greeting is, what's up? You're awesome. And, and that's the thing. And I'm all about edifying and building up. And it's needed. And true, honest encouragement in the church is probably lacking. And I mean an honest encouragement. But we have to be very careful because there's a fine line where people begin to get their identity off of my encouragement. And how good you are determines on whether I come by today and tell you that you're awesome. I love community and I push it more than anything else. But if I'm being totally honest, God began to show me through this, this, this message that if my identity becomes wrapped up in the affirmation of my community, then it's become about me. And it's not about Jesus anymore. When I can't seem to get it together or I'm struggling with something or I'm not representing him well, I don't need a speech about everything I'm good at and that it's all gonna come out in the wash. Away with catchy phrases and corny cliches. I need to know this Jesus that's supposed to be living inside of me because all of my good and what I'm capable of is what got me to this point in the first place. So when things aren't going good for me, don't come and remind me of me. I don't need you to talk about me. I need you to remind me of the one that's inside me. What would be more edifying? That when Colby has just blown it completely, just completely stepped outside of the nature and character of Jesus Christ, and he made the decisions to get to that point, what would be more edifying for me to come and say, Colby, you know what? You're a good guy, though. You're just good. So don't worry about it. It's all going to be okay. Or for me to come and say, Colby, don't forget the one inside you. Don't forget how good Jesus is. Don't forget how great Jesus is. Don't forget how faithful Jesus is. Even when we're faithless, he's faithful. Even when I'm not good, he's good. Even when I make the wrong choice, he's always making the right choice. That's edifying. That's building up. Because even behind the compliments and the you're great and you're awesome and you can do a good job and we sit there and say, oh, thank you, thank you. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you don't know what I did. <laughs> you say that now, but you weren't with me yesterday. What I really need to do is be reminded of him. Because when I begin to search him out, I can't find those days and I can't find those mistakes and I can't find those failures. So I just start remembering how good Jesus is. I start remembering how great Jesus is. And all of a sudden I feel built up because this Jesus that is so great has chosen to live in me. If our ability and what we could put together meant anything to Jesus, Paul would have been first in line. 
right? Let's look at Paul. Scholars say he was possibly the eighth smartest man in the world at his time. He said he was a Jew of Jews. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He could quote by memory the first five books of the Bible. And he quickly rose to be a leader among the religious leaders at a young age. He had it all together. He knew all the answers. He could say all the right things. He had the power. He had everything you could want in that moment. He had it all. It was available. But what's awesome about Paul is this scripture. But what things were gained to me, I've counted them all lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. In other words, all my abilities mean nothing when it comes to knowing Jesus. Everything I bring to the table, everything he had worked so hard to accomplish as his life, he literally turns around and says, it's all dung. It's all rubbish. It's worth nothing in my pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ. Have we become so prideful without even realizing it that we can't even come back to the place of saying, I have nothing to offer. Paul said, I have nothing to bring to the table. There is no good thing in me. All my accomplishments, all my rewards, all my successes. He said, it's nothing. I just need to know him. The quote we always hear from Paul is that I may know him. This prayer that Paul was playing, praying as he was writing to the Colossians saying, oh, that I may know him, know this Jesus. You gotta understand, Paul was years and years and years into his ministry. He had, he had established multiple churches. He had done so much. He was so far ahead. And yet his prayer was, I just wanna know him. I don't need success. I don't need a name. I don't need anything else. I just need to know Jesus. How long will we continue to count all of our flesh as something worth talking about? Keep keeping up with excuses as to why we weren't able to do this. Paul understood that everything he had to offer and, his, and could gain in his ability was rubbish in comparing to know Jesus. So how was Paul able to do all the incredible things that we read about? Maybe it was because he sold all the stock that he had put in himself and went all in on Jesus. It was all about Jesus. It was never about what Paul was able to do or could accomplish or could say or come up with. He had sold all that that was in himself and said, I'm going all in for Jesus and nothing else. We have to quit buying stock in ourselves and start investing into the kingdom. We've got too much in ourselves. We've got too much wrapped in us and too much goes on that we, it's up to me it's up to me as Josh to fix this and take care of this and handle this when I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to bring. So has this gospel become too simple that we feel like we need to add ourselves to it? Colossians 1, 27 and 28. Now, this is out of the Message Bible and, and, and I heard a preacher say the other day, it was the most awesome thing I've ever heard about this that we struggle because we put the Message Bible as a translation, when really it's not, it's just the Bible paraphrased by somebody that talks like us. So don't look at this as my translation of the scripture. Let's just check out this paraphrase of the scripture, all right? The mystery in a nutshell is just this, Christ is in you. So therefore you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That's the substance of our message. We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. 
This is the part you have to see. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense. It's just a profound common sense. If you really understood the gospel, you don't need a bunch of other stuff. It's just common sense. Oh, I get it. If Christ lives in me, then I live like him. That makes so much more sense. It's a profound common sense. Why? So that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. I feel like in our pursuit of spiritual maturity, it's left us immature. Because when my pursuit and my end is spiritual maturity, then I've begun pursuing something for me. And I want to be spiritually mature because that would look a lot better being a pastor, you know? But no. He said, don't pursue maturity, pursue Jesus. It's just Jesus. It's just him. Quit adding everything to it. It's not Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. It's Jesus plus nothing is everything. It's Jesus. And we have to come back to the simplicity that it's just him. There's a profound common sense that's just Jesus that brings us to maturity. And when we quit feeling like we have to add something to this thing, then we've started reaching maturity. When I can honestly be completely okay with it just being Jesus and I don't need to add to or take away or come up with anything else, I can be completely secure in knowing it's just Jesus. Then I've begun to reach maturity. Then I've begun to be in a place where I actually trust him and I actually believe him. He doesn't, no, I'm not gonna say that. I wanna look at some scriptures real quick. To, to just expound on this point. Uh, Colossians has probably became, I don't know, one of my favorite books in the Bible. I'm constantly teaching out of it. I just stay in it all the time. Uh, the class I do with Jennifer on, on Wednesdays is out of Colossians right now, and there's just so much in it. But uh, what I want to show you is that Colossians, it's profound, yet it's purely simple, and it's pretty much all about Jesus. I love the book of Colossians. I love everything that he brings out of it. And I want to use this to show you what I'm talking about. We, uh, we pulled those scriptures out of the Message Bible a while ago in Colossians chapter one. But those scriptures are at the end of the chapter where he talks about Christ in you and how awesome and how good it was. But what's awesome is, if you look back at the whole chapter, Paul was such a genius in his ability to write. And you can't just take sections out of Paul, what, what Paul wrote and get the full impact of it because he was so good at writing. He wrote things in specific orders and context and everything that you have to take in the whole thing. And then you're like, oh my gosh, this is huge. So when you do that and you begin to see the order of the way he wrote, it makes things so much bigger. And so if you look at Colossians chapter one, you see how he spent most of the chapter just giving you this epic understanding of Jesus Christ. Just, it talks about how awesome he was, uh, did I do some scriptures for that? What's my scriptures? Yeah, uh, Colossians chapter one, 
Verse 14, in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. These are just a few of the things. But Paul spends all this time of the chapter getting you an understanding of Jesus to where when you start getting to the end of the chapter, you just have to be like, oh my gosh, Jesus is just it. He is everything. Everything consists in him. He holds everything together. He is the greatest. There is no one like him. And then we get to the end of the chapter and then Paul throws this in here. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. So first he spends time giving you an understanding of who Christ is so that he can turn around and say, oh, and that Christ that now you think is so amazing. Oh, he's in you, by the way. He's in you. So now you that were capable of nothing and could do no good. Now, all of a sudden you have Christ in you. And that is the gospel. No more and no less. Not Christ in you. Now you have to do this, 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 and this, and then you're qualified and everything works out. No, it's just Christ is in you. And if you believe that he's as good as we just said he was, then how can that not alter everything about you? How can that not wreck our lives? See, before Paul could make it about you, he had to be sure that you knew Jesus. So when things got tough, you didn't need a pep talk about how awesome you are and how much Jesus loves you. You would just need to remind it of the simple gospel. Christ is in you. So if you're struggling this morning and you're not where you thought you would be at this point, if you messed up on the way to church this morning, I've just come to remind you, Christ is in you. Quit relying on your ability. Quit relying on your track record. Christ is in you. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you have accepted him as your savior, he has made his home inside of you. And everything we just read about Jesus is dwelling on the inside of you. So let's take the attention off of ourselves and put it back on Jesus. We need to quit telling people how good they are and start reminding them of the good that is living within them. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. This word complete means lacking nothing. There is nothing exempt. There's nothing you need that you don't have. Because everything you would need is Jesus Christ, and he is in you. That is the gospel, that we lack nothing. There is nothing lacking in him. Everything, this is a little, little thing that just come out in mine and Jennifer's class the other day. I just thought it was so good. I had to share it. Everything that is God is wrapped up in Jesus and Jesus is wrapped up in you. That'll work. So when I find myself in one of those panic modes, because I just can't get it together and I feel like I'm not representing him at all, I must stop and remind myself of who is inside me, not remind myself of what I'm capable of. Because what we are capable of is what keeps bringing us back to this point. We have put too much stock in what we can do. 
So this is the simplicity of the gospel. He came and died on the cross so he could reside in you. We don't need to convince how people, how awesome they are. We just remind them how awesome he is. Colossians 2 and 6 says, do I have that one, Nisha? Oh, sorry. That's what I get for doing my own PowerPoint, huh? Colossians 2 and 6 says, I love this. It's just so basic and it's so simple and there's no way around it. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. I really want to be smart like there, but I'm trying not to. So in other words, since you have received Jesus, walk like it, act like it, talk like it. Maybe the world has become so confused because we claim to have this Jesus living inside us, but yet we still walk, talk, and act like us. Mm, I know it hurts. hurt me last night when I had to write it. But the world has become so confused about our Christianity. You know why? Because we're so confused about our Christianity. And we're so confused about all the different theologies and the way it's supposed to look and the way it's supposed to sound, the way we're supposed to come to church and what we're supposed to wear and how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to own and what we're supposed to watch. And you know what all those things revolve around? Me. They're all about me. They're all about me. But what if I just believed that it was him that lived inside of me, so I just decided to act like him, talk like him, walk like him. It reminds me of a story I heard one time of a Sunday school teacher uh, was teaching a class of some just really small kids. I hope I don't butcher this story too bad. But anyway, one of the kids, for some reason, asked the question, why aren't we, how do you say it? Why aren't we shining? Or why isn't there light shining out of us? And she was totally confused and like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Why, why, why are you asking this? He said, well, The way y'all talk about Jesus, if he lives inside of me, wouldn't he shine out? Yeah. As a matter of fact, he would. I'm not even going to make a comment there. But it's such a simple, basic gospel. That there was a Jesus and a God that loved us so much, he decided to sacrifice everything he had and die on a cross so that he could live right here. Jesus didn't say it's imperative that I go so that some cool feeling could come to you later and you could get chill bumps in church and you could speak in another language. Those are all pluses. But he said, it's imperative that I go because once I die on the cross and come back from the dead, I'll be living in every one of you. And instead of one Jesus in one place, now it's a million Jesuses all over the place. I heard someone say one time, if Satan would have known what would happen after the cross, he would have killed everybody trying to kill Jesus. Some of y'all get that later. Just chew on it. <laughs> so there's no lack in him. It just said we are completely complete in him and we should live like we're complete. We should live like there's nothing we need to add to this. There's nothing we need to gain. I love you and I appreciate the edification, but my identity is not going to hinge upon the fact of you telling me I'm awesome. I am complete. Pastor always teaches in marriage situations that you never go into a marriage 50-50 so that you get 100. No, you better become incomplete. You better come in whole, needing nothing from that other person. But this is not a marriage sermon, so y'all ask him about that. This is what's awesome. There is no lack in Jesus. So if we're living in lack, it's due to our lack of knowing him. See, what's crazy is we can know him in certain areas and not in others. 
It's crazy to me, Colby brought up the other day about how he's been studying the names of God. And there's so many names. And I've always heard it and I thought it was cool and it was neat. It's something I never studied into. But it's awesome how I could know God as one name, but not know him as another. In other words, I could know him as the God of my salvation, but not know him as, what was it, Rafa? The healer. So I could know he could save me and get me to heaven, but I may not know that he could heal me here on earth. But we're the same way in Jesus. See, we know him in certain areas, but maybe we don't know him in others. So in some areas of our life, we live in lack just for the mere fact that we don't know that he doesn't lack in that area. Anyway, listen, we can tell, and, and, and this is my last point. We can tell where we stand on this by the questions that we're asking. In other words, if I'm asking how much sin is too much sin, then it's become about me and not about Jesus. If I'm asking, well, can I do this and get away with it? then it's become about me and it's not about Jesus. The questions you ask will immediately reveal who you've made it about. Have we made it just about Jesus? Because I feel like if it was only about Jesus, I feel like in the beginning before they figured out who they were, that Adam was never contemplating, man, can I do this and get away with it? Could I say this? Could I, could I watch this? Could I listen? Could I, could I, could I, could I, all these things? It was never about that. It was just about God. It was just about how awesome he was. Everything he had given Adam. It was all about that. So we can tell where we stand and how much we believe the Jesus within us by the questions that we're asking him. Are they questions just about us? Or are they questions because we want to know him? Is it just about what I can do and what I can get away with and what can happen here and, and, and all those things? Or is it questions such as, Jesus, I want to know you. I, I, I need to know, is this your will? Is this your desire? Is this your heart? Are they questions that ask about him or us? Or have we been deceived like Adam and Eve into making it about us and not about God and what he has so graciously given us? It's amazing to me that when it becomes about us, we'll mess up all kinds of good stuff for the sake of just one thing. Just like in the garden. I mean, think about it. They didn't have to work. Lions weren't trying to eat them. Everything was just this perfect. God came and hung out with them. I mean, it was, everything was perfect, but there was this one thing. Just one thing out of all the good things, there was one thing they could not have. And then all of a sudden, when it became about them and they deceived into themselves, that one thing became greater than all the other good things. And see, what Satan will do, what he'll do is just like he did in the garden. See, he doesn't have a lot of tricks. He's just really good at the ones he does. And he'll come in and he'll deceive you and he'll make it about you. And then it doesn't matter how many good things are going on in the church. It just takes that one thing. It just takes that one person and that one incident and all of a sudden that one thing trumps every other thing. It trumps the fact that that church has been awesome and supported you and been with you and been in the community and been in the schools and been in everything and doing everything. But that one thing, because it's about me, I need that one thing to be right. So I'll go find another church that seems to have everything together. But I can promise you, there's at least one thing in every church. 
As a matter of fact, there's probably one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 10, right? But when it becomes about me, it has to be that one way. Doesn't matter all the other good. And that's where we find ourselves. When it becomes about me, it doesn't matter how many good things my wife has done. If there's that one thing, I'll exaggerate it and I'll capitalize on it. Yeah, she cleaned the entire house, took care of all the kids, cleaned, cooked, provided a meal. Everything was on the table, ready to eat hot when I got there. I'm being serious. That's what she does. It's awesome. Everything was just perfect when I walked in, but the bed wasn't made. Well, see, you did a lot, but could have at least made the bed. And it sounds funny, but is it not? Is that not how we become when it becomes about us? It becomes so real. And a lot of relationships end up in jeopardy. Why? Because it just became about you. And everything else was good, but we exaggerate the one thing. The one thing they didn't get right. Because it's about us. We do it in our relationships. We do it in our church family. We do it with the people around us. I, was, uh, I went to Monroe yesterday and shout out to my boy, Corey. If you need a haircut, go to, go to Rumo's in Monroe. It's awesome. But I was there yesterday and we were talking and a, a certain conversation came up about a, a certain group. Uh, I'm not gonna say any names, but they're just, in my eyes, what they're doing right now in our country and across the world is just phenomenal. The stuff that's taking place, the stuff that's happening. But he brought up the idea that well, there's a lot of money being poured into that ministry. Where's it going? Who's getting it? Who's getting all that money? And it became an issue. Well, they live in a thousands and thousands of dollars worth of house. They drive a Bentley. They drive, they do, oh, where's all this money going? What about that? And I begin to see that it doesn't matter how much good is happening. When it's about you, you'll find something which is crazy to me anyway, because so it's okay for athletes and rappers and all these lost people to live in mansions and drive Bentleys, but God forbid a Christian do it. Oh, y'all ain't going to get me started on that. (laughs) Of course, I'm saying that living in a trailer house and driving a borrowed truck, but you know how it is. But but just being honest, you see the mindset that I'm, I'm, I'm painting here, that when it becomes about us, you can tell by what you exaggerate. But when it's not about me, I begin to find that good. And I begin to exaggerate the good. And it's no longer about me and what are you going to do to please me and what are you going to do to make it better for me. And away with all that. Away with all that. And let's come back to the simplicity of it's just about this Jesus that's in here. I may mess up. I may not say the right things all the time. I may not shake your hand every time I see you. I may get it wrong. But when that happens, I don't go into depression. I don't freak out and think I've lost it. I just stop and begin to remind myself. There's a Jesus on the inside of me. And he's the only thing holding me together right now. All right, this is my last point, honestly. I'm not lying this time. We see this example in the New Testament when they came asking John the Baptist who he was. He told them, I'm nobody. You don't need to know who I am. It's not about me. He said, I'm just a voice talking about somebody that's way greater than me. 
Matter of fact, he said, this guy's so great, I wouldn't even be worried to carry his, carry his sandals. That's how great this guy is. Is that what our life says today? Is that what people would think about life church? Or has it become about life church? Or has life church just become a voice saying, I'm just here to tell you about somebody that's so great, I couldn't even carry his sandals. I had to do some real soul searching the last several days and begin to ask myself, God, how much of it has become about me? As a matter of fact, I'm gonna be vulnerable with you this morning and I'm gonna take you into my life for just a minute. For five plus years now, there's been prayer meetings and there's been time spent at that high school, hours upon hours, you don't even understand of time I've spent trying to connect people and get people into that school and pray for people at that school. I've tried getting youth pastors together I've tried, and everything has just been struggle after struggle after struggle and I've put in hours and time and, and sleepless nights, time away from my family, all these things. And then this year, all of a sudden, revival breaks out in our high school. If you don't know right now, it's amazing what's happening in our high school right now. But guess what I did? When I found out what was happening, I got mad. Oh, whatever. That ain't happening. It's not real. You know why? Because it didn't happen with me in the front of it. Because I was the one that put in all the background work. I was the one that was there every time trying and pushing. And then all of a sudden it happened and I felt sidelined. So guess who I made it about? I made it about me and I became upset and I was negative towards it. My own son, uh, Colin, my adopted son, was ring leading it and I couldn't even be happy for him because I was so upset because of me because I needed to be in the front. I'm the one that put in the time. I'm the one that put in that. Can I just be honest or can we not admit this kind of stuff no more? Do we have to come to church and put on our mask and say, I've got it all together? No, I'm human. And all this happened to me. And I walked by dad's office and he called me there. He said, what's your problem? I'm not kidding. That's exactly what he said. He said, everything we've prayed for is happening right there at that school. And you're upset about it. I told him, I don't know. I don't really know why. I'm just mad. And at the moment, I didn't understand. I didn't know why I was mad. I didn't know why I was, I didn't know why I was disconnecting myself. I wouldn't even go sub at the high school because I didn't even want to be there. They'd call me. I'd be like, no, I'm busy. Hang up. Because I was just so, I don't know what I was. I left his office and I walked in here. I said, Holy Spirit, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm so dysfunctional, but I need some help. And he began to show me resentment that was in my life because I had made it about me. And somebody had said something along the way and I made that comment about me. And so it turned me off to that person or that situation or that group of people or whatever it may be. And then I'm not, I'm not kidding you in prayer. It was like God played back on a recorder, something I had prayed years ago. And I could hear myself in this sanctuary praying, God, I want to see a move at the high school, even if I have to be the servant boy that holds the door open while the other pastors walk in. And he reminded me of that moment. And he said, if you don't come back to the place where it doesn't have to be you, you're just a nobody. You're just a voice declaring God is good. You're just someone representing him. And I fell. And I was just broken at the coming to the place of realizing it became about me. Everything that was happening, I had turned it and tried to figure out How's this good for me? 
And so I got up from that and tried to contact uh, one of the coaches there that's over a lot of this that's going on at the high school right now. I haven't been successful yet, but with the intentions of just letting him know, Coach, I am behind you 100%. And if you need me to come carry your water bottle, I'll be there. But I refuse to let it being about me sideline me from being a part of what God's doing in our high school. And I refuse to let it sideline me from what God is doing in our community right now. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.